This is Paul Schneiderman today in the 99th edition of Sports Untold on Rainier Avenue Radio. And I have a very special guest today, my Rainier Avenue Radio friend and colleague, Rick Dupree. Rick is currently the Rainier Avenue Radio Sports Programming Director. Rick hosts a show with uh, former Seahawk Edwin Bailey. He's also hosts a show one-on-one with Dupe. Rick currently works as an educator at Northwest School. He's worked as a sports broadcaster at KJR AM 950 in Seattle, and I believe a few other networks. Rick's also a former Husky football player, and he played in the Arena Football League. Uh, Rick worked in the Supersonics organization one time. <laughs> and you got some research. Right? <laughs> I know. Well, no, I, I we've talked over the years, so I, I'm yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm having a little fun going through your your, your resume. But right, uh, right. and we've had the pleasure of co-hosting three shows together. But today I can get you in the hot seat, Rick. But uh, thanks for coming on the 99th edition of Sports Untold on Radio Every Radio. Man, that is congratulations, number one. 99 episodes. That I, I remember when we were talking about you starting to do this, and uh, now here we are. So congratulations. And uh, that is just a, a big accomplishment. So happy that uh, you are still at it. Well, Rick, I want to say something. You have uh, mentored me throughout this process. In those earlier days, I was asking you some basic questions about interviewing skills and just the whole, just learning the ropes. I remember I watched you do an interview with Eric Metcalf. You invited me in to watch you do one before I started. So you've been very helpful. And I, I um, appreciate your support and friendship throughout my little middle age experience here. So <laughs> you're both my pleasure. You know, that, that's, and that's the beauty of Rainer Avenue Radio is that whether you have years of experience or no experience, uh, the opportunity to get on uh, you know, the air and to really represent, uh, you know, the, the viewpoints of the community. And so uh, you, you are a living testament to the vision that Tony B, uh, you know, had uh, when we talked about Rain Revenue Radio starting. So it is, it is really cool to see. Well, that means a lot, Rick. I take my compliments where they come. So thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, um, yeah. Rick, I want to just kind of go into your to a little bit of your life journey, your biography. Then we're going to hit on some just sports, some hot sports topics. But I want to kind of kind of get your back on Rick on what got you into the sports media business. And then tell us what got you into education. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I'm the youngest uh, five boys uh, and uh, my, my oldest brother, uh, David, um, he, um, you know, was a uh, he, David, David's 16, 16 years older than I am. And David played for the University of Washington in the late 60s under uh, Jim Owens and that whole era uh, didn't play his senior year, but David got an opportunity to uh, the, many people may remember John Owen, the former Seattle PI columnist, and uh, they were looking for you know black uh, journalists. And again, you're talking late '60s now, and and so David got uh, uh, an opportunity, and uh, you know there were very few, if any, uh, black uh, sports writers or, or writers, I should say, just journalists, you know, much less sports. And, and so David got his start. And I think looking up to my older brother, uh, you know, number one was, was certainly uh, something that attracted me, you know, to it. I remember, I think I was 11 years old and uh, spent uh, the summer, portion of the summer with him. And he got an interview uh, or had an interview with a um, uh, William Randolph Hearst newspaper, the uh, San Francisco Examiner. And I'll never forget he took me to the interview and I w- was in this big building for the first time. Wow. You know, and, and looking out and overlooking the city. And so I was kind of, I waited in, uh, in this conference room, you know, or maybe it was a lobby. I don't remember, but all I remember is it, it had these big windows. I could look out and see the city and he did his interview. Uh, so that's something that has stuck with me. And, and David went on to have a, an incredible career 
when he retired, was recognized a year or so before he was retired, uh, recognized with the Kurt Gowdy Award as um, the, the top print journalist. And that wow. was a ceremony that happened at the Basketball Hall of Fame. So it's so a lot of pride there. And then I think as I, uh, you know, got into, you know, always played sports, started at Rainier uh, Playfield. And uh, as an eight-year-old, you know, and, uh, playing football and sports was always a big part. But my, my parents were really strict and they said, you know, if, if your grades are not where they should be, you know, if you're not doing well in school, you can't play. So they always emphasize that with all of us, I, I, me being the youngest. And um, uh, so, you know, as my career in, in athletics and football was, was, was the sport I wanted to. As I look back, <laughs> I might change that, but that's a whole other story. Well, you play at Rusty Wash, we're going to talk about a couple minutes. So you, yeah, you, yeah, had, you, you had a run. So Yeah, yeah. I tell you, football is, is I tell people it's not uh, if you're going to get injured, it's when. Uh, but with that said, I, you know, um, had a career, went to uh, Ingram High School, so lived in uh, Mount Baker area. My parents bought the house in 1961, uh, three blocks up the street or four blocks up the street from Franklin mm-hmm, on sure. 31st Avenue. Not and, too far uh, where, I, where I live now. Yeah, 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 yeah. In that Mount Baker area. And but I, I was bussed out to Ingram. Uh, the, the, the mandatory busing program actually started my junior year, but I was a transfer my sophomore year. My neighbor uh, was out there. He was two years ahead of me. He said, man, you should train. He went, went out there. And I didn't think I'd get a chance to play football at, at Franklin under Byron Johnson, who, what all my friends were telling me, didn't like little guys. And so I was like, okay, I'll never get a chance to play. And Cookie Jackson, Ron Cookie Jackson, sure. who uh, went on to have a great career at the uh, University of Washington. Uh, we played together off the Little League, what was there. So I was like, okay, I'm not going to get a chance. Um, and, and I think it was at that point, and one of my teachers, uh, Pat Ripley, uh, she, uh, I, I worked on the school newspaper and uh, did some things on the yearbook. And, and that kind of, to a certain degree, ignited that interest in journalism uh, and what have you. And then, like I said, with, with David, and at that time, uh, David was with the Washington Post. And uh, uh, so, you know, that experience in high school, and it kind of shaped, okay, what I thought I wanted to do. And I kind of was patterning my career after who I looked up to, number 32 in Buffalo, O.J. Simpson. And I wanted to play football and then parlay my career into uh, broadcasting afterward. And, and a guy who has done that seamlessly, two guys actually have done that seamlessly, Michael Strahan, but locally, uh, Nate Burleson. And Nate Burleson doing just a phenomenal job. So that was kind of my, my vision. And a funny story, when I was with the UW um, uh, I started out at Florida a and and one of the reasons I went to FAMU is I wanted to go somewhere sunny, <laughs> and so there's a criteria for me. I didn't have a college counselor telling me, I mean, I look, I'm at Seattle Academy now, we've got uh, six people in our college advising department, but, uh, you know, I wanted to go somewhere sunny, wanted to play football, FAMU had won the 1AA national championship the year before, uh, Rudy Hubbard was their coach. They didn't recruit me, uh, but I went and walked on and they had uh, they, they had gotten a huge uh, federal grant. And yeah, I was going into journalism and Mr. Ruggles, yeah, I think was was his name, the, the chair of the program. And they uh, say, hey, you know, write this essay. And depending on that, you know, you know, we may have a shot. So I wrote this essay and, you know, submitted all the paperwork. And lo and behold, I uh, got a full academic scholarship to go to FAMU. So I uh, went there uh, part of my freshman year, but wanted to play D1 ball and uh, missed home and all those things. So, so came back home and redshirted a year. But my um, uh, first year uh, being eligible, we played in the inaugural Aloha Bowl. And a uh, great game. Uh, Tim Cowan uh, hit Anthony Allen uh, for three scores and we beat uh, Maryland. I think I want to say it was 21 to 20, maybe. But Remember, I, it well? I, I, Remember it well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And uh, Anthony Allen was just, just recognized uh, as one of the legends a couple of weeks ago at uh, Memorial Stadium at the Memorial um, Classic. But anyway, uh, interesting story is that a young reporter, so my brother was at, David was at the Washington Post, but a young reporter uh, that had graduated from Northwestern, which was a school I was looking at uh, by the name of Mike Wilbon was working at the Washington Post and, and uh, was covering Maryland and, and David said, hey, my brother plays for UW. Uh, you know, maybe want to talk to him, do a story. Anyway, long story short, ended up doing a, a story uh, that appeared in the Washington Post. I was a backup player, but uh, Mike, you know, interviewed me pretty extensively for that story. And that was a, a kind of a big piece, getting the Husky perspective, obviously, uh, you know, going back to uh, uh, the Maryland, uh, you know, the Maryland, uh, you know, fans. So, so yeah, that was, that was pretty fun. And uh, tell us a little bit about, your UW playing days, Rick. Any 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 couple of fun Husky memories you can share? In, in your... <laughs> yeah, they're, they're quite. You know, my 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 uh, position coach Don James. I tell you what, there I have never to this day, and I'm 59 years old, have never been associated with anyone that paid more attention to detail. Uh, and and Don, the way Don ran the program is he coached the coaches, and then the position coaches coached us. So. We, we didn't necessarily have a whole lot of personal interaction with Don, but, but Don, uh, one thing Don did is, and this is back in the day of the film, uh, film they, they would splice together all of the kicking game uh, plays in every game. And Monday uh, before practice, we would go in this film room and the entire team was there and Don ran that himself. <laughs> and, and he critiqued every single kicking game play and, and that's he talked about that that was a difference maker we had to win the kicking game every week i'll never forget that but al roberts who now coaches at oday high school uh coached with the hugh campbell at edmonton and the houston oilers and nfl for years uh, now has come back uh in his mid-70s and is uh there was monty colder oday i was my position coach and he was one of the individuals that has had a significant um, you know, played a significant role, big impact in my life and just life lessons. And uh, uh, so Al would, uh, I remember we would go down in the weight room he, and Al was probably in his thirties then I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah, it had to be. And uh, we would do, I'll never do this, Paul, and Al would lead the way. We would do squats with 315 pounds, 10 reps, 10 sets of 10 reps. We'd run the, the stadium stairs and Al would be leading the way. And it was just, it was so much fun. I learned so much from him about how to motivate people. And he talked to me, he said, Rick, you know, you, you have to be uh, sometimes a parent, you know, a coach. Sometimes you got to be a tough guy. Sometimes you got to put your arm around. So I really learned from him is that it, it was it was up to me as an individual to read uh, if, if I'm coaching or motivating people uh, what they needed. And it wasn't a one size fits all. So so that was fun. But but probably the one memory I have. <laughs> uh, and it, it'll give you an idea of Don James and how much he pays attention to detail. So my sophomore year, I redshirted in my sophomore year, I was, um, I think the only walk-on that was traveling, uh, but fast forward to the Aloha Bowl and, uh, you know, everybody was healthy. So we had Jacques Robinson, we had uh, Sterling Hines, uh, Cookie Jackson. So I, I think I was running number four. So I, I'm not going to see any talent. Uh, we're in Hawaii, Christmas day game. It's hot. And, and back in those days, we used to wear the um, nylon kind of stirrup socks, you know, kind of the baseball socks. Right. And, oh, man, I hated those. My legs would just itch. And, I'm, you know, I hate it. So I'm like, oh. and part of my grandma, I ain't playing. I, I ain't got to wear them. So I'm in the locker room. I don't put them on. And I kid you not, Paul, 
Don James walks past me, does not look at me, but in passing says, uh, Rick, better put those stirrups if you want to get on the field. <laughs> and I'm like, what? How did he know? He, he, he knew that I did not have the stirrups socks. He said, you better put those on or else you're not going on the field. <laughs> I'm like, I can't believe this dude. So yeah, he, he was, uh, he was, he was a guy that again, just uh, so meticulous and attention to detail and, that that forced us again like i said just the the experience with the kicking game we would have um after i I don't know if it was after every practice i can't remember or if it was just after um the thursday practice going into uh you know the the weekend game but we would go through uh, all of the kicking games so so you know a lot of times you see even at the pro levels maybe not pros too much but college i see it high school definitely where they don't have enough guys out on the field for a kicking game we would go through everything, hands team. So if, if we were expecting a team to uh, kick an onside kick, there were there were guys that were supposed to be there. So we basically, we would just run it and he would just call out with his field goal, uh, kick return, hands team, whatever. And you'd have to get out there. And trust me, if you <laughs> forgot you were supposed to be out there, you weren't listening, uh, you paid the price for that. <laughs> so yeah, Dom was, it was no joke. Great stories. Paul Schneierman on the 99th edition of Sports Untold on Rainier Avenue Radio with a with my Rainier Avenue Radio colleague and fellow host, Rick Dupree. You know, Rick, you mentioned Al Roberts has been a mentor to you. And I want to um, mention some of you. I, I've had quite a few shows where Don James has been discussed with former players. I had Skip Hall on last week. And I, I've never heard anybody say anything negative about Don James as a coach. You know, I, people say he was tough and all that, but I've never heard anybody ever. He's all like, universe, just the, his approval rating among his former players and former coaches must be literally about hundred percent. Yeah. I think, you know, again, part of it is that Don, Don was the type of guy, like I said earlier, he coached the coaches. So the players, at least when you were playing, didn't necessarily have, um, as close a relationship with him as you did with your position coach. So, so I mentioned Al, you know, a guy who, who I had, uh, you know, a, a tremendous relationship with. Um, but yeah, Don, you just, you, you couldn't help but respect him because his knowledge of the game, his commitment, uh, I, I've said this a couple of times already, his attention to detail, and that's what he demanded of you. And, and that's why those teams, I mean, you look at that program changed under Don James. I mean, you know, Washington had, you go back in the sixties and uh, you know, it had, had some Rose Bowl appearances and what have you, but it, it went from a, a program that had some good years to a program that was perennially at, at, at the, 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 the top of, um, you know, college football. And obviously back then pack, pack 10, when I played now pack 12, uh, but you know, pack eight, pack 10, um, and, and they were year in and year out. And obviously that back in the day, uh, you know, the, the, the pinnacle was playing in the Rose Bowl. And, and obviously I, I, I think back to that Rose Bowl win, uh, you know, over Michigan and, and just, uh, you know, it, 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 yeah, I mean, that, that turned the, the tables in our, you know, Bruce Harrell, who's running for mayor, who likely will be our next mayor, uh, was a star on that team. And, and you know, Joe Steele, who, who, who played against Bruce at uh, Blanchette and probably the greatest game ever played at Memorial Stadium, standing remotely packed when, when uh, Blanchette beat Garfield in four overtimes. Uh, you had some great players, Warren Moon, you know, the quarterback. And, and that really, that changed the program. Uh, and, and, and it became a program that, that year in and year out was at, at the top of the Pac-10, but also in the national rankings. Uh, I remember my, my sophomore year, we were ranked number one. And uh, we, uh, uh, God, I want to say it was probably through five-ish weeks. 
And we went down to Stanford and this game was nationally televised on CBS. And there was a guy that wore number seven by the name of John Elway. I've heard of him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a few people have heard of him. And Paul, all I can say is uh, he, along with uh, Vincent White, number 22, the running back, <laughs> they picked us. I think Vincent White had a punt return for a touchdown. And Elway, I, I sat there on the sidelines, and it was amazing because our defense was tough. I mean, we had we had Scott Garnett, Kenny Driscoll, Mark Stewart, Ray Horton, uh, um, uh, who am I? Uh, Vince Newsom, Vince Alder. I mean, we had. I mean, we were loaded. We were loaded, and we would get pressure on him. And our, our defense. I mean. They, they were, they were, they were, yeah. I mean, that's all I can say. They were something special. And they would put pressure on Elway, and Elway would spit out of it. And all of a sudden, it's like, he's over here, and the defense is over there. Buys himself some time, and, you know, he had that laser He was arm. a talent, no doubt. Oh, my goodness, yeah. So that that was an experience. And we, unfortunately, on national TV lost and, and uh, were knocked out of the number one spot. But uh, that, that was an experience I'll never forget. And being on the campus there uh, in Palo Alto at uh, – you know, at Stanford was, uh, that, that was a special memory. You know, Rick, you mentioned that you were a, that you were a walk-on player. Did you eventually get a scholarship at University of Washington? I did not. So I, um, you know, again, that, that sophomore year, so I redshirted, transferring from Florida A&M, uh, which is where I started out. And um, uh, I played that sophomore year. And as I mentioned, was, I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the only uh, walk-on player that was traveling. So I, and I got some playing time, not a lot. I think I had, I want to say somewhere between, 12 to 15 or so carries uh, probably the best game I had was, you know, I got, got some time and had a, a fairly long run against university of Oregon as before Oregon was really good. <laughs> but um, uh, you know, I, I was the type of guy that, that uh, you know, I wanted to play and, and not that I'm not a team player, but I, but I want to play. So I went and talked to, to coach James after the season and I said, Hey, you know um, you know, it, it's, it's important. I mean, I want to be, you know, part of this team in a way that, that I'm contributing um, you know, on Saturdays and, you know, what's the likelihood? And he said, you know, in, in short, he was real honest. And he said, he didn't see the likelihood of me moving up and, and being in a position to get a lot of playing time. So at that time I decided to stop uh, playing and I, I finished up, got my degree in broadcast communications. I was still had the itch and, and the, the wanted to play. And so I, um, I started playing a local semi-pro league, uh, the West Seattle Warhawks, uh, Warhawks, Randy Jackaway, uh, um, and was uh, playing there for a couple of years. Uh, and, and then this new league called Arena Football started. And uh, some people may remember Mouse Davis. He was, uh, I, th I think, the, the architect of the run and shoot. He was at Portland State. And, uh, and I want to say it was, I think it was Detroit. Uh, Paul, don't, don't quote me on that, but I can't remember. He, in, in the pro, but anyway, he, he was um, the, I think, director of player personnel for the Arena League. And I had, written letters to all of the NFL teams trying to get a tryout. And um, uh, the only team that responded back um, and offered something was the New York Giants. And they had just won the Super Bowl. And so on my own dime, um, flew to, to back to East Rutherford. And it was an open tryout at uh, Giant Stadium. And there were probably 200 some odd players there. And um, yeah, I was in probably the best shape of my life. And um, you know, they that's quite a story, drills. Rick. I didn't yeah, know you yeah. try out for the Giants. That's quite yeah, a story. yeah. And so they ran us through these drills, and and uh, there were probably 40-ish running backs there. And uh, uh, you know, they ran us through drills, catching the ball, this, that, and the other, ran the 40, then they cut it down. They cut it down to five. 
and I was one of the five on there. And I'm like, okay, we got a shot here, you know. Unfortunately, didn't what uh, wasn't wasn't uh, you know offered a you know contract or whatever. But from that, um, the Arena League contacted me, or, or I can't remember if I contacted them, but Mouse Davis, they, they were pretty far into this. Is the first year they were pretty far into their process, but Mouse Davis being from Portland was going to be back in Portland, and they said, look, if you can get down to uh, God, maybe Liberty Park or whatever, some park uh, just across. Uh, uh, you, you know, the bridge there when you get into to Portland. So if you can get down there, you know, on Saturday this time, you know, he'll work you out. And uh, he had one other guy there, uh, some track guy that was uh, from, from Oregon. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I kind of ran circles around the guy, you know, he was trying to cover me and I was catching the ball and outran and then he was supposed to be some, you know. So anyway, uh, within a couple of days, they contacted me and invited me to camp. And so went back to Wheaton College in uh, Wheaton, uh, Illinois. Mm-hmm. and um, we had uh, the tryouts there. Uh, or, no, I'm sorry, the camp, the camp. And uh, that first season, there were four teams. There were um, Denver, Chicago, Pittsburgh, and Washington, D.C., and I was drafted and selected by Bob Harrison, who had been the receiver coach at Atlanta with the Falcons. He was a head coach of, uh, of uh, the Washington Commandos, and so that's kind of how I uh, – how many years Arena you played League, the Arena so, League, Rick? How many years were in the Arena League, Rick? Well, unfortunately, uh, the second game of that season, I uh, suffered a, a, a torn uh, ACL. Ouch, uh, and, ouch. yeah, and was making a block and a quarterback dove for the first time. And unfortunately, he dove right on my knee. You know, and so, yeah, that kind of ended, ended that. But uh, it was – You had a run was, in pro football. That's pretty yeah, – yeah, Paul yeah, Schneiderman again, fun. host of Sports Untold, the 99th edition with the – with Rick Dupree, would you say is Kurt Warner the most famous player to come out of the Arena Leagues? That the, the who later became, I believe, a Hall of Fame quarterback. Is he? He's a bigger guy who played in the Arena League, right? Yeah. Who, who, who's, is he the biggest name? You think that? Yeah, I would think so. And just the okay. success he had, yeah, uh, in the NFL, yeah, right. without a doubt. Kurt yeah. Warner, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I when I think of the Arena League, I think of you, but I also think of Kurt Warner. So you're you're yeah. a good company. You're a good company. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're probably hey, one of few that puts me in with his name. <laughs> well, no, but I, I knew that you played in the Arena League. Hey, Rick, you know, in the early '90s, I remember listening to you. I, we got maybe an eight or nine year age difference. I remember listening to you in the early '90s, like my college years, when you were at KJR, and I believe you co-hosted a show with Kevin Calabro. Um, can you talk about working with Kevin and just a little bit about those early nineties KJR years a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. So, so KJR um, in 1989 made the decision that they want to go into sports talk and, and, you know, people from here, you know, KJR was in the top forties and Pat O'Day, who, who you, you uh, allowed me to come on and co-host uh, your, your show one time with, with Pat O'Day. We'll never forget that a couple years yeah. before he died. Yeah, Man, that was just an that experience. Was that was fun. And, and, and I remember Pat because Pat was, was, I mean, he, such a big name there. Uh, but he also, um, uh, you know, was associated with the Hydros. And, and I'll never forget, I think I told you this before, Pat, you know, had, had uh, I think, you know, drinking or I was very, very, very open about being a recovered, recovered alcoholic, I believe. And he did, did a uh, commercial for Chic Channel, you know, <laughs> and I never forget, he started the commercial. Hey, this is Pat O'Day, Mayor Rotarver, big deal, who cares, you know, and then right, we go right, on. Right. He was such a cool guy. But anyway, so, so KJR um, wanted to make the move to sports talk. So we literally, it was, it was the early summer of 1989. Kevin Calabro was the voice of the Sonics, and and I believe the year before was kind of Bob Blackburn's last year as the voice, if I'm not mistaken. They would split some duties kind of in the transition, 
And so uh, we started the, the, the show and Kevin was the, was the host. And I was hired as executive director, Jim Rupp, uh, who was the former uh, uh, PR director for the Sonics. We had worked together, knew me or, uh, you know, from my days at Como uh, TV. And um, he recommended me to KJR. So I came on board and was executive producer of the show. It was a one-hour show called Calling All Sports. C-A-L-L-I-N, apostrophe, Calling All Sports. And Kevin was the host until the season, the basketball season started. And then Bob Blackburn came and took over. And uh, what we did, Bob's, Bob's um, overall knowledge of, of all the sports wasn't you know, at the level Kevin's was. So we, we um, had co-hosts that were, were sports writers with Bob as well. And that worked out really well because Bob was just so, so professional, so good. And was just a, you know, is a legend here in Seattle. And so uh, that was a lot of fun. And Bob actually is the reason I got on the air. I mean, I wanted to get on the air, wasn't getting the opportunity. And finally, Bob said, you know what? Just come on and co-host with me. And so, I mean, I have him to thank for that because he said, he basically, you know, screw management, whatever. I'm going to give you this opportunity. And so went on with him and that's how I started getting some on air. And then I um, actually co-hosted the show with Gas Man. Um, you know, worked with uh, Nancy Dinellon, the, the fabulous sports babe. And I remember we bought Graz on. I'll never forget the store. Graz, Graz was just so, I mean, he was just such a natural. And, um, you know, we got him on. I remember, uh, you know, I had a pretty significant role at that, at that time. And uh, Bob Hogan, I believe, was, was our general manager. Hey, we got this tape with this guy. He, he, he hosts the, the oh, a Raiders, uh, you know, pregame, postgame show, what have you. And let me, you know, let me hear the tape, what have you. And uh, it was Graz and ended up offering Graz a job. Well, years later, get really got to know Graz. He said, yeah, man, he said, man, I was the board operator for this, uh, for this, I think it was a morning show. He said, I, I filled in for one guy. That's the, the tape I sent, <laughs> you know. But it was a great hire. And, and those are the early days where, you know, it was just, we were just kind of flying by the seat of our pants and, uh, but, but got a, a great uh, stable of talent in there. And uh, it was just, it was just a lot of fun. Fun names, uh, Blackburn, Calabro, Grosby, Gasso, the fabulous sports babe. It's fun yeah. to hear about all these, all these folks that you, that you worked with. And I remember really listening is, to you yeah. in those days. So it's yeah. fun. It, but Paul, and, and you, you had asked, I mean, I'll say this working with Kevin was, was a dream. I mean, Kevin, you know, he just, his, his sports knowledge, but he just, he brought, for lack of a better way to put it, a level of humanity. And, and I think where you saw that most, and I think to this day, I still feel like for, in my opinion, for me, the best play-by-play team was Kevin Calabro and Marcus Johnson, They're because crazy. those guys, they got along so well, they were, the, you know, and they, and they had so much fun and you never knew what they might talk about. They might be talking about parliament and Funkadelic and they're bringing, you know, I mean, they, they were just, fun. They, yeah. They would just bring some stuff in. And so, uh, yeah, Kevin, uh, just the, the ultimate, uh, you know, professional and just, just, I mean, I love, I mean, whether, you know, he crosses the wickets or, you know, the, the, the leather and the lead or, you know, I mean, he just, he, he had all of these different, different terms and, uh, yeah, it was just, it was, it was so much fun to work, you know, with him. Uh, and, and like I said, Bob, I, I just owe you know, my career to, cause he's the one who went out on the limb and said, I'm, I'm going to give you the opportunity and I uh, will we'll be forever, you know, grateful you know, for him. And, and another name that didn't mention earlier, but um, when I was at the UW, you know, knowing that I wanted to go into TV and would have a developed relationship with Bruce King, who was the sports the legend. director at Como yep. TV. Yes, yep. yes. And and Bruce was uh, Como had the the Husky contract at the time, and uh, they had the Husky highlight show. And I just introduced myself to him and, and said, Hey, you know, this is what I want to do. 
And um, uh, when I stopped playing, I reached back out to him and he hired me to work weekends. And so I was working weekends as uh, Rick Meter, his sports producer, and worked with Rick and Harry Sloan. And, uh, you know, I met, I, I actually met Steve Poole and Connie Thompson earlier uh, when I was in school and looked up to them as, uh, you know, the, two of the few, they may have been the only black on-air people at that time. And both, both were really supportive. Uh, I was writing a paper when I was at the UW and, you know, I got to interview them and what have you, but, but Bruce uh, gave me that opportunity. And Rick, I, I learned so much, you know, Rick was a guy that's just meticulous. Oh my goodness. Attention to detail. And I learned, I mean, he taught me how to edit and we had, we'd have those three quarter inch tapes at that time. Um, but, but I, I honed my craft under him and, you know, he was, people would say, oh, he's hard to work for. Well, Rick, Rick expected, um, uh, he expected quality work and not perfection, you know, uh, but, but, but close to it. But I mean, you know, I paid attention to detail. I listened and, and I worked hard. And so we got along great. You know, we were, we were great people. Oh, Rick, man, well, you know, you, you, you're in there, you work hard, you do your job. And that's all he was asking. You know, he, and a lot of people come in, you know, and, and I mean, you know, this is people come in and they, they kind of half do it and what have you. And, and Rick, Rick was the type of guy, he wasn't going to put up with that. And, and so we got along really, really well, because uh, uh, like I said, he was a great coach, a great mentor. And, and, you know, I worked hard and wanted to learn, but I was dedicated. And so uh, really learned. And I remember later in my career, um, uh, if you remember George Johnson, the, uh, the center from, he played at Golden State. Yeah, I remember him. Yeah. He finished his career with the, with the Sonics. And at, at, I think it may have been the last year of his career, interested in TV. And so he came over and was working over at Como. And I got a chance to, to meet George and get to know him and work together with him. So just some cool memories of, of different people that, that uh, you know, I was able to meet and, and have experiences with throughout my career. It's fun to hear all, all these names in the past. Paul Schneiderman, again, host of Sports Untold on Radio Avenue Radio with Rick Dupree. Rick, um, I want to back up as part of your career when you work for the Seattle Supersonics. And can you share with the listeners and myself the type of duties you have when you work for the Sonics and maybe share a couple of memories of your Sonics uh, years when you're employed by the <laughs> employed by the NBA or former NBA franchise? Yeah, yeah, that uh, that was a dream job. Boy, I got oh, I bet. I um, uh, yeah, I was I was working um, somewhere and and one of the three times in my career, I was fired. So I was unemployed and I, I, I knew Wally Walker and ran into Wally Walker uh, when the Sonics um, and Storm Foundation was doing the court. Um, I think, yeah, no, not, I think I know uh, at Green Lake. And this was the, 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 when they, they came in and we used to do that a lot. And, you know, I talked to Wally and, and said, man, you know, I just threw out some, some ideas to him. He said, let me have you talk to some people. This was in 2004. And he set up a meeting with, uh, with some of his marketing folks. And I came in and talked with them and sort of shared some of the ideas I had just in terms of community, uh, but more so working with the players, supporting players. Unbeknownst to me at the time is the NBA back in 2001, David Stern had started a, um, a program basically called player development. And what it was is that each of the NBA franchises was going to hire either an individual or create a staff uh, basically support for the players. So, um, you know, something that was, was, you know, there in the best interest of the players was going to help them, whether it be with financial stuff or just, you know, vetting things, whatever the case may be. 
Uh, and, and three years later, only 15 of the 30 teams had a department or a position, uh, uh, that position filled. And so I had no idea of all this. And so the timing, you know, again, uh, as a Christian, I'm like, well, that's how God works, you know, but the timing was perfect. Talked with some folks, uh, you know, in uh, the marketing department and um, threw out some ideas and they said, okay, well, let's, you know, we'll get back to you. And literally two weeks later, they um, get back in contact with me because they didn't have a job description or anything. And they created a job description based on everything I said. So essentially right. I created my own job and was hired on there. And so uh, in the role of, um, in, in, in the title was director of player resources, but really was to be a resource for the players, whether it be putting together a guide for the families when they come in to take a look at communities and schools, if they had kids and that type of thing to bring in, I mean, I would bring in financial um, uh, you know, individuals that would talk about, you know, investing and things like that. So guys had a sense and it's interesting, you know, you really focus more on the, you know, the younger guys, but, but I remember Nick Collison was a guy who was, Nick was probably in his second, maybe third year at that time, but I uh, really paid attention and took advantage of those resources as well. Um, so, so that was, that was a lot of fun. So my first couple of years in particular, uh, traveled with the team, uh, any of the road trips that were like maybe three games or, or more, uh, and longer road trips. And it was really just a, you know, a way to get to know the guys and, um, be around in a position like that. You, you have to develop trust and they got to know that you're there for their best interest. Uh, and so that took time, but I, I, a couple of guys have really developed relationships with, um, you know, Luke Ridenour, just cause our commonality of being Christians, uh, we developed a good relationship. We'll get together and pray together sometimes. And uh, Damian Wilkins, uh, many people may remember Damian, uh, the son of of, um, of a Gerald Wilkins, uh, Dominique Wilkins' uh, brother. And so uh, Damian was Dominique's uh, nephew. But we kind of hit a, hit a relationship and just really connected. And I'll never forget one time he looked at me and said, man, you're from down south. Man, Dupree, they work you like a mule. <laughs> so we, we had some good times. Were well, you kind of uh, like a counselor of the players, Rick? Kind of, kind of like a, a, a buckler figure. Kind you of know, a, a, a sorts. Yeah, and you yeah, just, yeah. you know, it, it, and it really, it was one of those things where um, it was just important to develop relationship. And I think once you develop the relationship and trust, um, then then you're able to, you know. Um, you know, be there as a resource, as a support for the guys. Uh, you know, the big guys on the team at that time were, were, were Ray and Allen and, and Richard Lewis. I mean, they were the, the big guns. And, and Ray was just, you, you talk about the ultimate professional. And I'll give you an example. We would do uh, season ticket holder events. And, and Ray would go around, especially the ones, you know, we have the, the more intimate ones. And he would go around to every table and say hello, shake people's hands, make them, you know, he understood the business side of it. Uh, but but it was around the time where NBA Cares was really getting big. And so the league wanted the players wearing, you know, polos and they sent all these polos and, you know, NBA Cares and they wanted the brand. And, and Ray refused to wear it. And he said, you know, a couple of reasons. Number one, you know, didn't finish the court. I mean, that's just me talking about him. But Ray was, was impeccably dressed all the time. But he said, he said, I am a person, a human being outside of being a basketball player. And, 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 and I think, you know, that that's so true. And so he did what he needed to do, represented the team, the league, but he said, I'm still an individual and I want people to see me, not a basketball player. Uh, so he made that distinction. Uh, but yeah, there were, I, I remember we used to do an event at the top of the space needle 
And uh, there were a couple of players. <laughs> I don't know if people remember, remember Reggie Evans, rebounding oh, sure. machine. Oh, oh, yeah. He could play defense, too. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And, and Reggie Reggie was like, Rick, I ain't getting on that glass elevator and going. He said, I'll do whatever you need me to do down here, but I'm not going on the elevator. So, so yeah, it's just fun Fair stuff heights. like that. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah. You know, I want to ask some record, get your thoughts on this. And I, and I, I was a big Sonics fan, and, and I really enjoyed watching Ray Allen. And yeah. When I watched Ray Allen and heard him speak, he kind of reminded me of an NBA player from a different era. He reminded me of a little bit of like Lenny Wilkins, but was Ray kind of beyond his years in some ways? I, I don't know. He just think about Ray Allen. I, I, I just, I remember I said to my stepfather one game, I said about watching Ray Allen. He just seems like you're kind of watching like a prominent NBA player from maybe the 1970s era or 60s era. I don't know. I just. Well, Ray, Ray had, you might take on Ray yeah. had a work ethic. Um, and and all, all the, I mean, don't, don't, don't get me wrong. Any individual that makes it to the professional level, I don't care in any sport, there's a work ethic and the talent and the gift and what have you, but there, there's a work ethic once you get there. And so unfortunately you see a lot of guys uh, that will make it and they, they relax. And, and to give you a couple of examples. So Ray was, was known for, uh, he would get to the arena um, a couple hours before everybody else. And he would put up hundreds of shots. And I'll never forget, he, he told me one time, he said, Rick, he said, when I'm on the court, and I, I've shared this, I've coached, you know, since then, I share this with every team that I coach. He said, when I'm on the court, I'm, I'm taking game shots. I'm doing what I'm going to do in the game. I'm not going to do this stuff that, you know, taking it on, throw, throwing the ball. No, he said, I'm working on game shots. And so he gets to the arena a couple hours early. He's coming off screens because, you know, uh, Nate McMillan in particular used to run, you know, kind of, kind of doubles. Ray would set up on one side. He'd have a screen down on the low block. He would come through through the uh, through the key and have a double screen on the other on the other block, and then come around. Ray would work on coming, getting the ball, catching and shooting, and what have you. This dude, I, I mean, there were there were practices where, I mean, this guy would not miss shots, and when he missed a shot, I was like, man, I, I expect you to miss, you know. Uh, I mean, that's how good he was. And you think about it, and then you look at Seth Curry, you know, and these guys that I mean, they're just a, at a different level. So his work ethic. Um, and and I'm, I'll never forget, uh, uh, I think it was Donovan Brown. No, no, um, Denim, Denim Brown went to Connecticut. Ray, Ray, you know, went to Connecticut. And Denim was a rookie. And I'll never forget, Ray pulled me out one time and he said, Rick, just, just go, go, go watch Denim. And I was in, in pre games. And Denim, you know, throwing up shots, throwing a half court shot, messing around. And I, and I thought back to Ray said, I'm only working on game shots. And not that Ray had anything to do with this, but the next day, Denim got cut. Uh, and, and, you know, again, you talk about a mentality, people talk about Kobe, uh, and his work ethic. And, and I'll never forget, um, Kevin Durant, obviously people may, may forget, but Kevin Durant's rookie year, uh, and Jeff Green, they were, they were Sonics. That's and right. I did, did a number of, of you know, things with those guys, read to achieve events. But when they were, when, when Colangelo kind of started revamping the Olympic once, you know, when, when the U S lost and so created kind of the, the main team and then had a feeder team and Jeff, and Kevin were on that fever team, I think it was after the rookie year. And um, as the story goes, they, they were there and they got a day off, but the two of them go to the gym, but somebody was there already. And there's an old guy by the name of Kobe Bryant. 
a work ethic that that surpasses most people's. I mean, and, and, and Ray Ray was that kind of guy. That kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. Rick, I want to get some more subjects here. And uh, the Husky football team, you know the program a bit. The 2021 Huskies are 2-2 two and two right now. They had a very brutal loss against Montana to start the season. So here's yeah. my question for you. I want you to put on the Rick Dupree crystal ball. When this season is over, will the UW loss against Montana be seen as a bad aberration for the UW football program? Or is it a sign the team had some very serious holes or something in between. How do you think we're going to look at this Montana loss when the 2021 Husky football season is over? You know, I honestly think it's going to be um, to a certain degree, a, a telltale sign of the program is, is, has got some growing and some improving to do. Um, you know, I, I think it'll be seen more as, as an aberration though. Honestly, I don't think it's going to be, you know, a, a you know, a sign that the program has sunken. Uh, and I like Jimmy Lake. I like he motivates guys and what have you. But, um, you know, the, the, this, the, the program, it is not a top tier program. You know, I mean, that's just the bottom line. And when you, when you go out and you get manhandled uh, and what have you, you've got to go back and you've got to get some, some, some more athletes. You've got to get, uh, they've got some, some good players, but you've got to get some great players at skill positions, uh, you know, quarterback, running back, receivers. And the, you know, that's important. And then on the defensive side of the ball, um, you know, they just, they're, they're, uh, you know, got to go back to the drawing board with, with recruiting and what have you, but I don't feel like the program has, has dropped off, but I mean, you know, under, under Peterson, I mean, they, they had, you know, they had some, some really, really good years under Chris Peterson and, um, you know, it was tough. I mean, kind of for Jimmy, like coming in the way he came in and what have you, but, um, you know, I, I certainly expect to see, I hope, I hope that, um, the media, and more importantly, the administration at the UW gives him time. Um, and, and, you know, it's unfortunate, but you, you don't see Black coaches get, um, you know, the opportunity and the, the patience and, uh, that, that white coaches do. And, and it's unfortunate, uh, but, but, you know, you've got to produce regardless, don't get me wrong, but I hope they give him time and allow him to bring in, do his recruiting, bring in the types of players he wants and, and create the type of program that, that mirrors who he is. And I think a great coach, um, you know, is going to recruit and you know, that, that type of talent that is going to be able to run the type of system that they want to run. But it's going to be, it's always important. I think that, that a coach understands the talent that, that he has and, and then you coach to that talent and not make that talent conform, uh, you know, to, to the program. And I think a good example of that was, you know, UW was, was really, really good under Don James. Uh, UW won a national championship when Don James brought Keith Gilbertson in and they, they went to a short passing game and opened up that offense. And, and so uh, I think when Keith came on board, um, you saw more, even more so, especially the offense, um, looked at the talents that the players had and played to those talents and gifts. And, and, and that was the direction they went in contrast to saying, you know, this is our system. And regardless of who we have, you got to fit in the system. Rick, I didn't think it was fair when the Huskies were 0-2, some people calling for the firing of Jimmy Lake. I said, let's give this, this man a chance. We were 3-1 and one during the pandemic season last year. So I, I didn't agree with the, those calls. And I, yeah, I understand, understand your points. Um, Rick, I am on a high horse. These are two questions I have asked many guests, and I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you these questions. Paul Schneiderman again on Sports Untold, the 99th edition with Rick Dupree. Um, the first question is: 
and well, let me actually let me let me give you a few answers. I received this question and give you some clues <laughs> to answer. So I've I've received the answers of LeBron James, Serena Williams, Joe Montana, Nick Saban, uh, Floyd. Actually, Grosby answered Floyd Merriweather. List goes on um, of different Steve Rabel and Granville Emerson. Mm-hmm. Mars Station answered Bill Russell. Who's a living sports figure you would love to have an interview or conversation with? Oh. I, I think without a doubt, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He he is, you look at what he, his career has spanned. I mean, just not only what he accomplished on the court, but now off the court. Uh, it's just phenomenal. And I mentioned my brother David earlier. And, and David, being in that era, you know, David played against uh, O.J. Simpson and, you know, those guys, you know, uh, at that time, Lula Cinder at UCLA and what have you. Um but David said, he said, he said, Kareem is one of the most intelligent people I, I've ever met. He didn't say one of the most intelligent athletes. He said one of the most intelligent people. And if you look at, uh, he, he produced a, a documentary uh, recently and talking about different movements and what have you. And uh, he, he's moving in that direction. You look at his thoughtful comments and, you know, some of the occurrences that have happened. I mean, not only following George Floyd's murder, but uh, just just so many um, of, of his thoughtful comments and quotes. Uh, and it would just, I, I would love to, to hear from him and just be able to extensively um, hear from him what motivates him, what, you know, what drives him. Because uh, he, in my opinion, has always seen himself as larger, um, no pun intended, but, but larger than, than an athlete. Now, I think back to, uh, I think it was the movie Game of Death. He was, you know, he was a, a student of Bruce Lee's and in, in the movie with Bruce Lee. And I mean, he was doing, you know, things that were, were very uh, atypical of what you would expect from a seven foot basketball player. And uh, he just brought so much more to, uh, to the table than, than his athletic skills. Steve Kelly gave the same answer, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, to my question about living sports be like Chavez. You're the second person to mention, mention Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. You know, one thing I sense about Kareem Rick is he doesn't seem like he takes any polls when he gives opinions on things, whether it's the vaccine. He spoke out very strongly against anti-Semitism recently. He seems to have, he's his own guy, isn't he? You know, he is, you know, there's this iconic photo of him, Jim Brown, um, Bill Russell, um, Muhammad Ali, and, and I think Rayford Johnson, you know, it, it was back in when the black athletes were standing up and saying, wait a minute, you know, around the time of the, the Mexico Olympics, when uh, uh, Tommy Smith and John Carlos, you know, stood there on the podium with their with their arms raised, you know, and the, and the fist clenched. And so uh, he, he's always been one of those athletes. And again, I mean, you know, the guys I mentioned, you talk about you know, Russell and, and Jim Brown and, and Muhammad Ali, um, those guys transcend their sport and and they knew and know that they have a a a bigger calling and a role they can play to make humanity better uh and and they're not afraid of what may happen to them um you know and i think that's i think that's significant and and you know it's interesting i I think i've shared with you before but i've shared on there you know my son and i were working on a documentary on the the seattle chapter of the black panther party and uh aaron aaron and elmer dixon uh who are are, you know 72 and 71 now i believe and were the 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 founders of their 16 months apart but as we've been we're about a year a little more than a year into this i'm gonna uh, where's yeah i'm gonna show you here but anyway a little more than a year into this but um 
You have some yeah. great stuff in, in, in your office, right? I'm looking at them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll talk about that's that. That's like a museum, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'll say this real quick. Is it is it as we've interviewed people upon this relates to, you know, why I say Kareem and I think of people like Jim Brown would be another I'd love to talk to. Um, you know, and you look at Jim Brown's career and the 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 I'll talk about that in just a second, but my point is a number of the people in the Black Panther Party I talked to said, you know, they, they were teenagers and they said we didn't expect to live beyond 25. And Wow. For individuals to make a life commitment like that, to better, to make humanity better, to make things for their people better. Uh, and that, that's what, what those guys, Kareem, Jim Brown, you know, uh, uh, you know uh, uh, who else did I say? Um, well, I'm drawing a blank now. Muhammad Ali and, and Bill Russell, what have you. And, and you know, it's funny because you look at Jim Brown and Jim Brown, Barry Sanders is very similar to this, but Jim Brown was the greatest running back of his time without question. He was 29 years old when he retired. And when he retired, he led the NFL in rushing and touchdowns, I believe, and walked away. Uh, and then went ahead and made some movies, you know, <laughs> and, and had love scenes with, with, with uh, you know, uh, so I think, I think uh, with Stella Stevens and, and uh, you know, Raquel Welch or whatever that people weren't too happy about right. in the 70s. Right. And Jim Brown basically said, don't worry about it. Uh, so, I mean, th those types of people, again, uh, really, I think. Are, Rick, let me are throw important. out a name of a living sports figure I would love to chat with is Willie Mays. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's a that's a name. I mean, he, I know Willie. I don't think he's as much as an activist type as maybe yeah. Jim Brown or, yeah. or Crimble Javar. But Willie Mays, I think, would be a fascinating guy to talk to. All right, Rick, uh, yeah. here's another similar question. Um, I've received Muhammad Ali from several guests. I've received Babe Ruth. I've received uh, Kobe Bryant. Um, who's a deceased person in sports history you'd love to have chatted with or had a conversation with? Uh, Muhammad Ali, without, Ali. without, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, he, he, he was such, I, my brother, Paul, who's five years older than I He's am. He's got a great um, first name, by the way. Yeah. He, he was, I can't remember how old, but, but played little league baseball, uh, you know, with, with, uh, Bruce Harrell's brother, uh, uh, Clayton, I did Bruce, Bruce may play on the team. Have, but, but anyway, in the central area, and he tells a story about they were out there practicing and Muhammad Ali is in town. He stops and comes out and plays with them. Muhammad Ali did that kind of stuff. He, he just, people gravitated toward him and, and, you know, he clearly was not, you know, nobody is the perfect, you know, individual, perfect human being, but you know, again, here's someone again who made a, a commitment in his life, and and but he was so adored and loved uh, by so many people. I would say one other person I, I, I would have to say is not an athlete. What was an athlete, or was it just a person? You could, yeah, mention someone else. I, I I'm focusing on athletes, but mention a mention yeah. a mention a deceased person. Has well, been and, and you kind of so. see it in the book. Uh, if I can get my my this book right here, that that's Muhammad Ali and Malcolm X. Malcolm X would be the other person. The reason Malcolm X is because he, here's a person who turned his life around and then he had this commitment to um, the nation of Islam. And then he went to Mecca and he changed his thought and said, you know, I, I, I prayed there with blonde haired, blue eyed people that believe the same and I believe. And so he was he was man enough. He was had enough integrity to say I was wrong and change that. And I really appreciate that. 
Malcolm X wrote that he wrote he met some white Muslims that he liked, and that had an effect yeah. on him, didn't it? Yeah, the, yeah, I read that yeah, it really did. Mecca. Yeah, and yeah. I think probably you know cost him uh, among other things his his life, and many say that it was you know the nation that that uh, you know who knows it's unsolved or, or you know supposedly, but but yeah, he he was just a person that you know I was talking to someone the other day, and I said, man, what what if JFK, RFK, um, uh, you know Martin Luther King, Malcolm X. Meg Rabbers, all of these individuals had not been assassinated. Where where would we be today? Where would we be? That's a, yeah. fascinating questions. Fascinating questions. Paul Shamming and host of Sports Untold, the 99th edition with uh, Rick Dupree. Rick, uh, the Mariners are in content. Well, I know here we're going from heavy Malcolm X and Kareem. Now <laughs> yeah. we're going back to Mariners. I know it's, I, I always probably like you as an interviewer, Rick. Sometimes when you have a pretty heavy subject and you move back to something a little softer, yeah. anyhow, but but that's part of interviewing. Um M's are a half a game out. They have three more games left. Um, let me package a question for you, Rick. So I went Monday night. There are about 12,000 fans in the stadium. Last night, there are about 17,000 fans in the stadium. Um, do these low attendance numbers, relatively low attendance numbers, reflect A, a lack of fan interest, B, is it more COVID reasons why people are not going to these uh, Mariner pennant race type games, or C, is it more a frustration with the Mariners organization just with how subpar the franchise has been the last 20 years or just a combination of all those reasons? What, what do you think I, of these kind of low crowds right now? Yeah, yeah, I, I would think a combination of that. But but honestly, Paul, I mean, everybody loves a winner. Uh, but but the Mariners, I mean, have had the uh, longest long making the playoffs of any sports team a major sports team. You're talking about basketball, football, baseball, right. hockey, uh, and, and 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 you know people and and you have some diehards. I mean, you know, they got you got seventeen thousand out there. You know, uh, given given what the the history has been over the last twenty years. But but you know, I, I think it's exciting. I mean, I I I you know am not a huge baseball fan, partly because of 10, 11 years ago, I can't remember what it was. I, I got cut, so I was like, okay, I'm done with that game. <laughs> but, but but no, all kidding aside. Um, this is incredibly exciting. I'm like, my goodness, can you believe this? And I mean, and they're delivering and, and, you know, yeah, you're talking about three games left and, 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 and this is, I mean, this is, you got to go out there and got to do it. You got to like it these guys. I like Crawford. Yeah. I like yeah. France. I like, I think they're fun guys. They, they have a little bit of 1995 magic. Them. we'll see. If yeah. They yeah. Just, I, I was, was going to say that, you know, and that, but, that's exciting for, yeah, for the fans. Yeah. So hopefully you'll get, get more fans out, but I mean, you know, you, you the, the franchise overall has to, to uh, turn the corner and become, you know, a, a winning franchise. Um, you know, again, if you want to, I mean, you think back in the, 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 you know, with Griffey and, and, and Randy Johnson and, you know, all those guys, I mean, man, you had huge crowds, but I mean, you know, they, they, they were winning. They drew them in. Rick, I got time for a few more questions. Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, great. I'm a great time. Um, all right, Rick, this is a heavy subject here. Um, I want to get your opinion on this. So NBA player, Orlando magic forward, Jonathan Isaac, I believe this week emerges a leading opponent of NBA of an NBA vaccine mandate and restrictions on vaccinated players. And I'm seeing like guys like Ted Cruz are applauding all these like conservative leaning, you know, kind of anti-vaxxer or, or, or anti-mandate people are like embracing Jonathan Isaac. So I'm going to read you a tweet from Jamil Hill. The famous uh, sports oh, yeah. reporter. She's a character. She's I enjoy. I, I like reading yeah, her. She's, she makes yeah. it thick. Here's what Jamel Hill wrote about Jonathan Isaac, and I want to get your opinion on this. Jamel Hill's tweet 
that she tweeted a couple days ago. I would love to know if Jonathan discussed his hesitancy with an actual doctor. I'm guessing now, because if he did, he would know the antibodies from COVID don't last. Also, his biggest problem, Hill referring to Isaac, seems to be people criticize him for not being vaccinated, which seems childish. What do you think of Jamel Hill's tweet about Jonathan Isaac's uh, anti-vax position? Uh, I think, I mean, right on the money. Um, wow. <laughs> you know, it just, it, well, I, here, here's, here's the problem. You yeah. mentioned Ted Cruz and, and, and I, I'm going to just say, I can say, you know, those bozos. I mean, I, I yeah, I, I, I spoke to, as I mentioned, I'm at Seattle Academy, spoke to our 10th grade students. They were at, at a retreat. And I said, you know, I have so much hope for you kids coming up because we need to get rid of the old guard that, that is is from, that makes up Congress uh, because they're acting like three year olds. They can't get along. If it's not my way, it's no way. And and you know, people that that uh, you know are, are upset about people wearing masks or mask mandates. I, I would ask this question: If you look in the medical field and you go into a surgery, an operating room, the doctor and everybody are wearing masks, and the reason they're wearing masks is so there is not a spread of germs and disease. I mean, it's just common sense. Um, you know, I have a, my brother's a retired doctor, um, uh, Lenny, and uh, he's got multiple myeloma. And this last 16 months or so, because of the mask mandate, uh, he has gotten sick far less. And he said, you know, moving forward, that's going to be my new normal. Uh, you look at the, the, the cases of the flu last year were, were minuscule, almost non-existent, again, because we're wearing masks. And, and then you go into the vaccines. And I am a personal... Uh, I have a personal story at being vaccinated, being involved in uh, you know, education and being an educator. Uh, I was vaccinated my second shot in April. Uh, I got COVID uh, the end of June, uh, June early July. Now, I, I attribute the fact that I was vaccinated to two things. Number one, it was extremely mild. And I'm at that age now, 59, almost 60, where you know, it could, could be. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, thank God, healthy and, and what have you. But it was extremely mild, uh, did not have a fever. Uh, no one in my house, and I was in the house for at least a week not knowing, no one in the house uh, caught it. And, and I attribute that to being vaccinated. And trust me, when, when I'm eligible for the booster, I'm going to get the booster. And, and, and it's a matter of us thinking about more than self, number one. But then the second thing is, you know, a lot of those politicians that are like the Ted Cruz and what have you, I bet you he's vaccinated. His kids are vaccinated and he's not sending them to a school that, that's not having a mask mandate but yet they go on for their votes. And again, this goes back to what we talked about, about integrity, like, like you know, Muhammad Ali and, and, and uh, you know, Kareem and Jim Brown, what have you. Th these, are, these are people that are, are going to stand up, uh, the ones I just mentioned, the athletes, uh, regardless of what the public thinks, regardless of what the ramifications are, because it's right. And, and unfortunately, um, you know, and I look at Kyrie Irving and, and Kyrie's and, well, you know, I, this is personal, what have you. No, it's not personal. Um, because others are affected. And, and trust me, if I get on a plane or I go somewhere and someone's not wearing a mask, they won't hear it from me. And, and trust me, I hope somebody has a problem with me wearing a mask. That give me a reason to take out my frustration the way, the way my people have been treated over the last 400 years. Paul, that won't be a pretty sight. Right, <laughs> I mean, no, I understand. It's just, but but my, my point being is that, you know, we have to think about others. And unfortunately, the U.S. in particular is a me society. It's not about, am I my, and one of the things Malcolm X said, am I my brother's keeper? And meaning, you know, I have to, I have to care for my, my fellow mankind. And, and we focus on the things that are different, but, you know, you and I, 
little bit different age, di different uh, ethnic background or what have you, but there's so much more about us that's alike. It's no not, doubt about it. No yeah, doubt about but it. we focus on what's not alike. Paul Schneider, host of Sports Untold, the 9th edition with uh, Rick Dupree, my Rainier Avenue radio friend and colleague, having a very vibrant, fun discussion about Rick's career and his thoughts on all sports issues. Um, I'm going to play a little devil's advocate. I agree with you on the vaccine. I agree with you on masking. We're on the same page. Let me just kind of play a little devil's advocate. What do you think of people that say that Jonathan Isaac has a point because supposedly there's some allegedly some natural immunity people can get who've already had COVID. Do you buy that, that spin that some are having on that? Well, maybe he shouldn't, doesn't have to be vaccinated because he may have natural immunity. What's your take on that argument? Yeah. Well, I would say, let's go back to the science. Let's go back to yeah. medicine. And, 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 and unfortunately people have skepticism, you know, and, and I think that, you know, black people in particular, you look at things like the Tuskegee, you know, uh, project and different things like that, where, you know, we were used as lab rats, basically, but right, terrible, terrible. Set that aside for a minute. Um, you know, like like a, a law enforcement officer, like a teacher, like a minister, whatever. Doctors take an oath, and 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 you know, more often than not, ninety out of ninety nine point nine percent of the time, they're in it for the right reasons. And and so let's take a look at medicine. And for me, not being a doctor, I go back to common sense. Uh, you know, again, the masking. You know, if you're in an operating room, if somebody's sick, they're wearing masks. So there's not, it, it reduces, it, 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 nothing's going to eliminate 100%, but it reduces the risk. The, the vaccine reduces the risk and makes it more safe. And, and that's where we've got to get to. And I think that I would say, you know, for, for individuals, that, and, and you, absolutely, you, you have a right. I'm not going to, you know, you have a personal right, but when your personal right infringes on me, that's where now we have to have a discussion and and i think go back to let, let's set aside politics let's set aside uh, you know left right blue red what set aside all that and let's talk about what's in the best interest of of our nation of our world and especially when we talk about children and children in schools and what have you and 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 so uh, you know i think it's, it's somehow at some point we got to get past all of this rhetoric and let's get down to the nitty gritty, the truth from the experts. And, you know, have, has our government handled it? Just, just talk U.S. obviously, because that's where I'm at, not in any other country. Uh, have they handled it, uh, you know, perfectly? Absolutely not. There's been a lot of missteps. And even under Biden, who I think has, has done it, the Biden administration, I think he's done a great job, but they've had some missteps. And, and I think the reality, Paul, is I, my take on it is that when you look at, at a virus, it, it, it is it is very dynamic. It's very fluid. It changes. Very and, spreadable. And so, yeah, yeah. So it, it's okay to say, "Hey, we thought this. We made the mistake." Okay. And 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 I think I've heard Dr. Fauci talk about this. You know, hey, it is a very fluid thing. It changes. I mean, it's like cancer. And and, and unfortunately, now I've had experience with cancer. You know, my mom, my wife, my brother, and cancer is is a disease that it mutates and it changes. And that, that's what a virus does. And so understanding that what, what they're saying today may not be the same tomorrow. Right. And, and, but that needs to be acknowledged. And, 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 and so I think, you know, you look at, at the, the removal from Afghanistan, uh, you know, clearly um, it could have been handled better. Clearly there could have been some things done in advance of getting people out and what have you. So for, for, for me, I, I would have preferred if, if Joe Biden would have just said, okay, buck stops with me. Well, what does that mean? Say, so, oh, you know what? Yeah, we should have listened to people three months ago and done X, Y, Z. We didn't, but now we're going to correct it instead of you know this you know hold while well, everyone wants to see us. Yeah, well, we know people want to want the war in, want to see it, get the troops out. That's not what we're talking about. 
So I guess my point being, Paul, is that I, I just I want to see from uh, the, you know the, the the medical field, the experts, a higher level of of honesty and ownership when they make mistakes. Um, but but I think for people you know that that are are you know going on the other other end of the spectrum, it's like you know come on, just just use common sense and let's look at the facts and and then then base your decisions and your actions on on the facts. Uh, not on on hearsay, not on social media and, and what have you. I'm not a medical person, but I'm a little skeptical as Jamel Hill brought out that uh, how does Jonathan Isaac know that his antibodies from COVID are going to last permanently? So I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I'm getting over my yeah. head here, but but I, I, well, I think yeah, there's a lot of misinformation going on, you know? So. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it, you know, they talk about herd immunity and let people get it and what have you. But I mean, you know, again, it's interesting, this argument, are you, are you, um, uh, more protected again, like you said, if you got it and you have those natural antibodies or if you've had the vaccine. Now I'm in a situation with both, but I'm still being careful. Paul, I've, I've got masks, I've got these filters that go well, in I the do masks. Too. No, I do too. Look, I actually bought this uh, KN95 mask. Yeah. I, when yeah. I walk around, I want to have more protection. Well, yeah, Rick, yeah, and I think it's important. Rick, well, I, 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 I knew you would give an animated answer to Jamel Hill's uh, tweet about Mr. <laughs> well, Isaac. I, I will say, I, I love. I love her, and I think that she got a raw deal. Um, and 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 part of being a columnist, being a talk show host, or whatever it is uh, having that freedom to speak your mind. And um, you know, I think you know she unfortunately, you know, she she told the truth, and people didn't like that. You know, people people oftentimes, you know, they, they don't want to hear the truth uh, because it hurts. And as we have this conversation, you know, around race, for example, um, you know, the, the truth hurts, but you know, as an athlete knows, and you hear the, the saying all the time, working out, no pain, no gain. You know, we've got it. We've got to uncover and get to the root of things, um, you know, for us to, to heal from them. And until we do, we won't heal. And we'll continue to have, you know, people that have their heads up their rear end saying, I mean, what's the, I forgot the, the congressman's name. I saved the, the cut, and I'll look, but, but basically on the January 6th insurrection saying, well, you know, if you didn't know what they weren't saying, you'd think that was a normal day. It's like, Oh, come on, dude. And then, and, then, and then when people ask him about it, not, not, did you listen to it? Yeah, we listened to what you said, man. You know, and, and that kind of thing, it just, it just, you know. Wasn't just, there a congressman that said that a lot of the, the, the people involved in the riots were, were just like regular capital tourists? I mean, give me a break. Right, right. You know, and, and that, yeah, and that, and that that's is just, just silly. That's just silly. Yeah, that, that's what I'm looking up uh, his name. I'll find, but yeah, it just, that, that's the type of thing, you know, Paul, that it's like, come on, let's, let's, let's be real. Let's yeah, be Republican, real. uh, Republican uh, Andrew, uh, what is his name? Andrew Clyde, or Representative Andrew Clyde. Forgive hey, me. Rick. It just, yeah, it's things yeah, like that's that. Just you, silly. You, you, it's yeah. just dumb. Well, that, that, I, I, I hear what you're saying on uh, on a lot of these vaccine mandates. I, I think, you know, there's a 1905 U.S. Supreme Court case. Granted, it was a different era. It was before like civil rights and disability disability rights laws came into existence. But there is case law precedent that a Massachusetts vaccine mandate was found constitutional. So there is precedent on these guys. So anyhow, anyhow. Um, hey, yeah. Rick. And Paul, uh, Paul, I, I will say this so, one thing yeah. to, to that point is that, yeah. you know, it's like when you're in wartime, you know, different rules apply because we're coming together as a country. And, and you know, unfortunately, we aren't coming together as much as we could and, and, and should. I think if we had and had better leadership at the, the first part under Trump, um, you know, we might be further along. No, not might be. We would be further along and it wouldn't be, uh, you know, where it's at now. But, you know, it is what it is. Well, here, here's something I've, I've said to people. If this is just shooting for the hip for a second, if Donald Trump had handled the pandemic issue even 10 or 15% better, he could have won. He had an opportunity 
to really be a statesman and he could not he just was not yeah. capable of coming. Through. Yeah, you have to know that he was not capable. Yeah, not capable of doing yeah, it. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, hey, Rick, um, I told a friend in the Mariners game on Monday night that I like hockey, but I don't know the infield fly rules of hockey. And I want to, I'm going to go to some cracking games. I'm looking forward to it. But um, I wanted to ask you, you already kind of answered the question, if you know the in field fly rules of hockey but um do you see yourself following the team you see yourself learning the sport and following the other team rosters and stuff you know that's that's a good question my my comment has always been um and part of my grammar i'm being being you know a little sarcastic but you know you ain't seen no brothers out there skating you know but but with that said uh, you are seeing more and more uh black uh you know uh, players in, in the nhl number one which which is really cool but uh it, it, it's a game I, I i have not followed hockey I've not been a fan however um a few years ago as part of our uh, seattle academy the seniors do a trip to the yukon and my last year there, the weather was warmer than normal. So we had to change the trip and we came back into Whitehorse, the city, and they have a big adult hockey tournament going on. And we kind of hung out and watched it. And it was really cool. It was exciting. And, and, and I really, you know, I'm really excited to see the Kraken because they've done a lot of community outreach and they have a first in that um, uh, their, their play-by-play announcer is, and you, you, you brought this up to me uh, when, when it first happened, uh, an African-American black man. They also have uh, just hired a, um, a black female as the in-arena PA announcer, Sharon Nyree Williams. So just- they're, they're They also have an African-American uh, TV guy. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. so could, could you see Rick the Kraken becoming maybe a hockey franchise that more people of color could embrace? Could you see this thing taking off in the 2020s? Uh, you know, they, they certainly are trying to do the community outreach, introduce themselves to the community and, and make it a, a family friendly environment. Um, you know, it remains to be seen if that'll happen, but uh, it, it's, it's, I mean, you're talking NHL, man, this is the pros. This is the real right. deal. It's so, a real deal. Really it, yeah. And you look at uh, what's the climate change arena now is about, about ready to open up and, and they're going to be in just a, a, an incredibly beautiful facility. So, uh, I, I plan to get out and, and for no other reason to, to, to hear my friend Sharon uh, do the PA, you know, which well, is exciting. I let's try to go to the game together, Rick. Let's try to go to the game. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Let's do that. Yeah. Uh, let me ask, let me get one more question. And thanks so much for, for hanging around longer. This is this, I think this is the longest interview I've ever done, Rick. So it's oh, an honor to have with you. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's because I yak so much. No, <laughs> no, it's been fun. It's been a lot of fun. I could ask you a lot more questions. But I don't yeah. want to take up your whole evening. Um, Seahawks are one and two right now. Is this a sign that, that the Seahawks are just that the whole regime is changing and they're they're not going to be maybe a playoff team, uh, the you know, like the permanent playoff type team? Or is it? Or, or, yeah. Is the guard changing? Is I guess my question. Yeah, I I, I think it's too early to to make that call. I, I would say no. Um, you know, had a couple bad weeks, um, and, and I think but but some very solvable, fixable issues. Um, you know, but, but yeah, certainly disappointing. I mean, one of the things offensively, they, they certainly have a potent offense and got away from some of the things that, that they did well in the first half and the majority of, uh, of, uh, you know, week two against Tennessee, um, the offense could just kind of shut down and, and, you know, Chris Carson's a guy, you have a very capable running back. You have a capable running game to, to control the game. And you look at the time of possession. So they've got, they've got to do some things, you know, they've got to fix that. And, and again, you know, they got, you got to make plays. We got to make plays. 
and and they just did not do that defensively you know especially uh you know against minnesota kirk cousins shredded that defense and was reminiscent of the first you know half of last year uh but then the defense you know they turned it around and the last what third of the season or whatever it was last year they they were their defense was good you're saying don't panic at one and two that's part yeah of I, I think it's way too early to panic um I think this team can turn around. However, um, they've got to turn it around now because if they don't, they're going to find themselves pretty quickly at one and three, one and four, one and five. Then you're then you're chasing it, and you're you you know they're not in a position you want to be in. Um, but but I think they they have to uh, you know figure that out pretty quickly. And then the other thing is that they they just have not been able to get consistent pressure you know on a quarterback. And and you know in this league, and and Kirk Cousins showed you you give a quarterback four or five seconds, or even and a veteran like him, when they ran some stunts and some schemes and they were, you know, rushing him, they, they, the Vikings ran some really good plays where cousin got rid of it quickly and got some guys and some holes in the, in the zone. And, you know, I just think at this level, you have to be able to play, man, uh, you got to get up they in the guy's face. They played last you know. Sunday. That, yeah, that's, yeah, that, just, that's, yeah. You know, Rick, so, I, so I, I think it's too early. You. I misled you on something. I do have one more question for you. I misled oh, no you. Problem. Okay. Um, I still get Sports Illustrated. It's down to it's down to once a month now, but I, I oh. still I've still been getting it and I enjoy it. Uh, there's an article in this month's SI about how football teams are now playing off where the lineman starts upright and not where their hands are anchored to the ground. And in fact, there was an NFL game last year between the Chargers and the Miami, week 10, where the linemen uh throughout the game um we're not we're not starting in, in that down position. Um, what do you think about this sort of change that's sort of slowly going on? How linemen are being placed? Part of it's due to like I think head injury concerns. Um, and would you would you support having, um, with the exception of the center, having it mandated that that, that a that alignment must start in an upright position rather than down on the ground? Um, you know, I, I I would stop short of making you know a mandate, but uh, let's take the defensive side of the ball for a minute. You look at a guy like a Chase Young uh, for the Washington Football Club, uh, and they kind of move. I mean, reminiscent in my mind of, of a Lawrence Taylor uh, that can line up on the line, line up back, you know, hand down from a from a you know standing position. Uh, I, I think you know guys like that. You know, definitely you let them do what they do. Offensive linemen. I would be curious, and that's a question I'll ask Edwin. I would be curious from his career. Does he feel like his career? There's a little career, picture I'll up. just show you. It's hard. I can't wait really uh, hard on Zoom. There's a picture showing the. You look at the outside. The bottom there, yeah, 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 yeah. Bottom, you can yeah. see how that raise it up just a little bit. Yeah, that. Yeah, and, and yeah. So, so is there an advantage for a defensive lineman to be kind of resting, you know, on the on the on the thighs or on the knees, and, and then coming up and being able to block, in right. terms of being all the way down? Maybe. So, so I, I would say that. Uh, again, I would defer to, you know, Lyman. I'd love to get that, Edwin's take on that. When I, I, I've had yeah. him on my show, when I get him back, I'd love to talk, get his take. On yeah, yeah, yeah. We definitely would ask him that. You're talking about a guy, 11 year veteran. And, and could, totally. Could definitely tell, yeah. yeah, he's a great yeah. guy. He's a great guy. Well, Rick, I really enjoyed you coming on this 99th edition. It's great to see you too. It's been a couple of years yeah. since I've seen you in person, but is, always yeah. the best. Yeah. And it's you and I stay in better touch. And thanks for being my yeah. guest today on Sports Untold on the 99th edition. Paul, thank you. I appreciate it. And I, I will plug, I will say, uh, check out, this is uh, Aaron Dixon, the Seattle uh, chapter of Black Panthers, and we're producing a documentary called Seattle uh, 
Black Panthers Fight for Justice and Freedom coming out in 2022. So look for that and uh, it'll just be a documentation and their story, uh, the Seattle Comrade story about uh, their experience. Sounds fascinating. You know, one thing, Rick, I'll mention before we conclude this interview is a couple of years ago, there was a play based on your, um, I believe, your mother's last days. And yeah, it was interesting yeah. to see the family history and the young man that played you in the, in the play. <laughs> and so that was a really, that was a very interesting experience. And I think it, I think it was yeah. so relatable. It reminded me of my family, other families. And it was really very powerful play that you were involved in. So. Thank you. I appreciate that. It was yeah, based on, it was kind of motivated by uh, my mom's last days and, and how, um, yeah, and I'm, I'm hopeful that, you know, I, I got some really good feedback. We got a grant from uh, King County for culture to, to allow us to produce. And thank you for, for being there to produce and do a staged reading. Um, and, and literally kind of haven't done anything since. And it's in the back on the back burner, but it, it really was the experience. Um, and I hope it will, will when we, when we make the changes and, and, you know, whether it's, you know, in a theater somewhere or whatever, I don't know, but, um, you know, it, the hope was that it would would really help people that are dealing with um, a family member that is very relatable illness and and how it can be a, a you know, it hurts, no doubt. But there are positive things that can be pulled out of that. And so much uh, I think about my mom every day, but but so much positive, um, you know, that, that it, I pulled out from that experience. And I'll, I'll, I'll finish with this point, just say she was 82 when she was diagnosed with um, uh, a uh, um, uh pancreatic cancer my, my and, dad died of that it's a, it's okay, a brutal yeah one. it is brutal one yeah but but she and this was her attitude and she said well i'm 82 and i've lived a good life and i'm gonna keep on living <laughs> you know, and and she literally did and and when we got to hospice i rode in the uh, ambulance with her to hospice <clears throat> we got there first and the nurse practitioner said mr dupree i want you to know this is not normal so what do you mean she said your mother is totally coherent knows what she wants is comfortable and she they got her comfortable and, uh, you know, she had visitors. That was a Thursday night. She had visitors on Friday. And then um, at about 4.44 a.m. Saturday morning, she passed. And she she lived, she literally, as she said when she was 82, I'm going to keep on living. She lived until she took her last breath. And, and that we were really fortunate and blessed. So we missed her. She was 83, but, but a good, uh, you know, memory as well. And, uh, you know, just the legacy that she left. It was a powerful play, and I'll end on this note. The young man that played Rick Dupree in that play could play Rick Dupree in the movies, too. So, <laughs> Nate Abbott, yeah, we'll, okay, we'll sure. get him. We'll get him. Yeah. Great All to right. see you, Rick. We'll be in touch. Thank you. Thanks, Paul. Take care. You take care. You too.